Welcome to the Brown Posey Press Show, part of the BookSpeak Network, a program dedicated to independent and self-published authors. This show will examine new and unique works of literature, learn about their creators, and discuss the industry. And now your host, Tori Gates. The discovery of an old letter opens a quest for a curious girl named Annie as she and her father travel across the Midwest and into realms unknown. With good companions, the quest takes Annie into contact with druids, witches, fairies, and warriors, among others. Annie Abbott and the Druid Stones is the story by the father and daughter duo of Mike and Isabel Nelson, and they join me from their homes in Iowa and Wisconsin, respectively. Welcome aboard. Good afternoon. Well, uh, the introduction to this story really sets the tone, but it also tells an awful lot about your relationship. Uh, tell us what inspired you to collaborate on a book. Uh, either one of you, just go right ahead. Uh, <laughs> I, I was waiting for you, Isabel, but um, <laughs> I, had, uh, I had written uh, three other novels. And, um, you know, I had never written anything before, um, never since I left high school. But after I retired, I sat down and wrote these three books, which were <clears throat> just about all I thought uh, that I had in me. And I felt like uh, I, I didn't need to do any more of that. That was fun, but I'm not going to do any more. And uh, those three are the greatest books never read. And uh, but I was satisfied with them. But Isabel thought that I needed to keep writing, but I didn't really know what to write about. So um, I'll let you pick up the narrative here. Is yeah. So um, I had told him that I would like him to write like a children's book, um, and I said, "Why don't you write about some of the adventures that?" we took when I was a kid and then I could help you with it. So it doesn't feel like so much work to write a whole other book all by yourself. Um, but what I had really meant was like a children's book with like pictures and very minimal like writing in it. Um, and then as we started working on this project and collecting anecdotes of places that we had gone together and things we had done. It just kept growing and growing and growing. And we kind of realized it wasn't going to be a children's book anymore, more like a young adult novel with real writing instead of just captions on photos. Mm -hmm. Now, did either or both of you just have like an aha moment of this is what the book's going to be about or, or how did it come about for you two? Well, um, I was looking for some inspiration, and so I asked her, you know, like, well, what are you really talking about? And she said, well, you know, just about, why don't you just use our adventures? And um, what she meant by that is is that ever since Isabel was uh, pretty young, maybe eight years old is, eight or nine. Yeah, about eight or nine. Um, I would either... Uh, I always planned a, an adventure a year, at least one. And uh, if necessary, I would take her out of school for it. And we would go away for a week, 10 days, two weeks, someplace interesting, educational, exciting, and um, uh, far from home, usually. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, we did that every year. And so every year we did something that was an adventure and a learning experience. And so she said, well, why don't we tie those together and make them into a treasure hunt, right, Isabel? Yeah. Uh, of some kind, you know, just so that you could have some sort of a story flow. Um, and so we started tying some of these places together. I, I've always thought it's a much easier thing to, to write about if you're writing about something that you actually have experienced or seen, because it's easier for you to paint the scenery behind you um, and, and, and get the setting uh, the way you remember it. And uh, so we started doing that. And the next thing you knew, um, we, we filtered in the treasure hunt. And then as the characters started to appear, it started, we started to realize how much magic uh, there was in uh, the things that we had done, the things that we had seen and experienced, and that there was and really all magic the- all over. And, yeah, and I was going to say, and all of the people that we met while on those adventures, too, we met some incredible people that we hadn't, hadn't planned on doing, and just the fact that they were brought into our lives through these adventures, too, really inspired some of the magic characters that we have, too. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it's to... amazing, add... you know, if you have your eyes open, that uh, the people that you run into... Exactly. Uh, Isabel, I've got a question for you. Is it, This must have been really exciting. Uh, you know, it's like you've got the cool dad and you get to go on these things. You must have always, or I would assume that you did, you must have like approached these with just this incredible excitement of we're going to go somewhere we've never been. This is going to be amazing, right? Yeah. Um, he always did it. We would leave very, very early in the morning every mm-hmm. time we left to go to one. Like the first day that we were going to leave, we'd probably leave around four or five, like before the sun came up in the morning. And so I would go to bed having packed usually and just not be able to sleep the entire night. I'd toss and turn the whole time, watch the clock, wake up, it's like midnight, wake up, it's like 1230, wake up, it's 130. Like just time never seemed to go fast enough. And finally I would kind of like, hear him start moving and I would be up immediately and like in the car. And then as soon as we started driving, I'd be asleep. Yeah. She was not much of a co-pilot. I got to tell you (laughs) Uh, that, but that's gotten better um, over, over the years. She's, uh, you know, she's a young adult now and, uh, and we still do our adventures every year, at least one. And uh, although it's a little bit harder these days to uh, to come in off the bench and get the pinch hit a little bit, she's a very popular um, and busy young lady. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely want to ask a little more about those things as we go along. Uh, one question before we go to break, I've got to ask you take us to places now, uh, Wisconsin, the Great Lakes, these places that you clearly know really well. And what's really neat about this story is how you filter in those details. There's these little things that jump out at the reader of, yes, you have been there. We are now in this place. What were some of the favorite places that you went? Um, my One of my favorite places that 
we have gone was um, Lake Superior. We went to uh, Bayfield, Wisconsin, and Madeline Island. And then my my favorite place that we have ever gone is it's called Amnicon Falls in northern Wisconsin. And that's actually not in the books, but I'm assuming at some point it'll probably make its way there. Um, but it's a series of different waterfalls and you can swim in them and you can jump off of them and go under the waterfalls and all kinds of stuff. And that was such a great place to explore when I was a kid. And we've gone a couple times and once when I was older and I still really appreciated it and it still had the magic in it. And I'm um, trying to plan a trip there this summer with some people so that I can share that part of my past with them because I just think it's a really, really awesome place. Mm-hmm. I think it's that's that's one of these things is, is that uh, there's a ton of discovery that we try to build into uh, the adventures we have. And then um, uh, we had the opportunity to share that with, with others. I, I, I'm really surprised, Isabel. I thought you were going to say, when you said Lake Superior, I thought you were going to say that uh, you're Nantucket sleigh ride. Oh, yeah. That was pretty awesome. But oh. that was part of the trip. So, I mean, overall. Well, yeah. being and, from New and, England. And that, that, oh, go, oh, yeah. Go sorry. Ahead. Being sorry. from New England, uh, we know what the Nantucket sleigh ride is. And uh, it and it's did did you have some sort of experience like that? I've got to ask. Um, Dad, you want to tell the story? You're pretty good at it. <laughs> well, uh, uh, first, I wanted to comment on something that you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the the things that we put in. Um, we actually pretty meticulously checked the history and there is quite a bit of history because as the book is, it goes, it, it goes all the way back into mythology and the study of witches and druids and, and, uh, and, uh, ancient civilizations. And for that, Isabel is a whiz at doing that kind of research, mm-hmm. but a Nantucket sleigh ride, uh, of course, uh, was, something that the uh, Nantucket, Rhode Island whalers would do where the harpoonist would stand in the front of the boat while the, uh, the hunters who rode, rode the boat chased the whales. And then uh, when the harpooner would stand in the front of the boat and harpoon the whale, the whale would run or it would sound or it uh, and uh, the rope, of course, was attached to the harpoon, was attached to the other end of the boat. And they rowed the, uh, the boat like crazy while the, while the whale tried to get away. Well, of course, now we know that that probably wasn't very good. But for those guys, it was obviously very, very exciting. And so Isabel, um, and it does, it is in the book. Uh, Isabel um, got a Nantucket playwright of sorts. Because uh, the fellow who captained the boat that we were using to explore the islands and the shipwrecks uh, got a rope attached to the front of the boat for her and stood her up in the front and uh, and just absolutely opened uh, the engines up on his boat and just went like mad. And uh, there was probably a three or there was at least a four foot swell 
uh, on the water. And that thing was just flying just from wave top to wave top. Well, she hung on to the rope and screamed bloody murder and had just a great time and got us all soaking wet. It was a, that was a fun event to watch. Well, we are speaking with Mike and Isabel Nelson. They are the authors of Annie Abbott and the Druid Stones, and we're going to get into that program of who Annie is and who these uh, companions are, all coming up on the Brown Posey Press Show. Stay with us. Sunbury Press Books offers work by independent authors. Our imprint, Catamount Press, explores literature and creative nonfiction of the Northern Appalachia. The writings of P.J. Piccarello, including the Northern Appalachia Review Series, an annual publication for under-recognized literature. Also check out Dennis LeBaire's Appalachian Gross Dog, a boomer's memoir. Find these and more at sunburypress.com. We're back. Mike and Isabel Nelson have written an adventure tale, Annie Abbott and the Druid Stones, which draws on a number of influences from real life and elsewhere. The first question is, our main character is this young lady named Annie. And the first question I must ask, who is Annie? So Annie is a 13-year-old girl. Um very young and kind of naive and going, but very, very smart. Um, she's going through a lot of changes at the time because as we know, 12, 13 year old girls start going through some emotional changes, um, as well as physical ones. And so she's a little bit confused about who she is and who she wants to be in the world. And that very much mimics the changes that happen to her throughout the book with um, when she discovers magic and magic in the world and magic that is within her. Mm-hmm. How much of Annie is you, Isabella, if I may ask? Um, All of I, it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, just, yeah, Dad. Go ahead. Well, my no. dad is sort of... <laughs> My dad created this character, and well, we created her together, but he did a lot of the character development of Annie, and she is very much uh, mirror, like very much mirrors me and who I was at that age. Um, a little bit awkward, but really smart, and loves her dad, and her dad adores her, and. Just well, let's not get crazy here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, not so much anymore, but you did then. Yeah, I'm learning. <laughs> um, and just loves everything about the world and wants to know everything and drinks in <clears throat> knowledge and just wants more and more and more. And I think that she's a she's an empty canvas. And uh, she's she's making all these changes that are that normally happen to a thirteen year old girl. But um, what she starts to notice, and and what her father and the people that she meets instill in her is how magical everything is in this world today, mm-hmm. and how everything is animated by uh, forces of life. And another word for that is magic. Mm-hmm. And uh, as as she starts to change, she starts to realize that that magic 
is inside of her only much more so than what would be considered to be normal. And then, of course, she discovers that she actually is a witch. Mm -hmm. And my own uh, growing up, I remember the changes I went through at different parts of my life. And I guess the other thing, too, is uh, when you're developing characters, and I, I mean, I primarily write young adult, though I do write other things, and I find myself trying to find different elements, not so much of myself, uh, because then to me it would become boring if it's just about me all the time. It sort of came into my life. It's like you're creating, again, it, you're right, it's a blank canvas. You're suddenly, here's this character, and here are the things that just seem to come together and, and fit. Uh, how long did it take Annie to really develop to become the girl we see in the book, do you think? Uh, as the book opens, uh, she's just a junior high kid who uh, lives with her dad. He's a single dad. And uh, she's just on summer break. And he says it's time for an adventure. Uh, and then, of course, they they find this diary that sparks them into chasing a discovery. But... Um, it's as they start chasing this discovery, uh, every single step um, changes her perspective. And she, I mean, it, it's such an exciting emotional adventure. I mean, uh, I actually took a pretty big part in writing this book. And there's parts of it that really are, are so exciting that they tighten my throat up. So it's... Uh, and that's the great uh, thing, isn't it? When that happens to you, and you're the one telling the story. Yes, I I, I agree. And uh, each one of those things is 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 another glass ceiling for her that she just uh, breaks through in, in and uh, uh, her her perspective and her the horizon that she views the world from just keeps getting wider and wider. Very exciting to watch her learn. Well, it's interesting, too, because Michael, the counterpart, comes off. He comes off as this very bookish fellow, and yet he seems up for everything and anything. And it's like he's the one who says, okay, we're going to go do this. Um, and it really parallels both of you because it's like you do these, you did these adventures all your life and you're doing them still. And it's almost like there's a conversation, there's that conversation between father and daughter. And it's like, Let's go do something, right? Mm -hmm. And we keep making content for more books. So, I mean, as long as we're still doing it, we have more to write about, I guess. Mm -hmm. And as we get going here, that sudden road trip puts them on the road. Here comes the adventure. And then we start to meet the other characters. And I was very interested in the development of the characters who became part of the three Without giving it all away, two more of them show up. Tell us about Rafer. Who is this guy? Rafer Tate? Yes. Um, he is a Native American. He's of the, he's of the First Nation, so he's a Cree. Mm -hmm. And um, he, um, of course, he has 
special powers as he becomes one of the three. He is one of the three. And um, he harnesses uh, the, a level of uh, empathy uh, that he can sense emotions and strengths and weaknesses in in people, and particularly in Annie, he can read her extremely well, and uh, he uh, helps to direct the energies of the other two uh, of the three. He's uh, he's a spiritual character almost, mm-hmm. but. Uh, He's, he's capable of great insight and wisdom. Mm-hmm. And you have and, the... Uh, and, uh, and he's a good time, too. He's a lot of fun. <laughs> I don't know if he's based off anyone specifically, either. He's just a combination of a lot of people that we have known and continued to meet. And that's what makes a lot of great characters sometimes is um, I almost never base a character off one person. It just doesn't work. And... You also don't want to end up seeing that person and have that person be at you about, why did you write me like that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think we have to worry about that with Rayford Tate. He's quite a unique individual. He is. He is. And it's like, um, I have to also ask about Gabe the Mariner because he is the third of three. And here's another one. It seems like his attunement is more to the water, obviously. Yes. Uh, well, uh, we can get into all kinds of symbolism that, you know, in retrospect, you can find all kinds of things like that. But, you know, water is a symbol of truth. And, uh, you know, it is also the symbol of cleansing and all of that other stuff. But here's this mammoth fellow. I mean, he's a, he's a man mountain and uh, an incredible warrior. But the one thing that he uh, embodies more than anything else is uh, truth and honesty. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's, uh, he's, it, it, and he has, in spite of his uh, huge size and, and strength and everything else, he's, he's incredibly graceful. And, uh, and, uh, and he's got the prettiest wife. <laughs> that anybody's ever seen. So he's uh, quite a remarkable fellow himself. Mm-hmm. But uh, without the three, um, they, it takes all three of them to, uh, to form the, I guess, the tripod that uh, supports Annie in, in her quest. I was wondering what the significance of three meant, and I didn't know if it was an elemental question or what. I wasn't quite sure, but uh, they do form that support base. I just wondered if there was there something other that just said three is the number or three is the um, the symbol. Is it, I just I didn't know if that was there. There are three forces on Earth that uh, there is uh, water, fire, and air. And uh, those three make up the, the forces of nature. And uh, they're what animates the earth. If you want to get into big symbolism, you can, you can assume that Andy might be the earth. But uh, <clears throat> when you uh, get down, I don't want to give it away too much, but uh, uh, those three guys have got a, a tremendous victory. And it really starts to come out in the 
second book, which isn't quite finished yet. Well, you you talk about the elements. My spiritual background includes earth, and it also includes spirit. So it's it's there's so many different ways to look at it. And that is the next question for me for both of you is the pagan references. I recognize so many of these. And uh, you delve into Druidic, but also Celtic fairy realms, and you don't stick to just one. You, you bring us between the worlds. And I was wondering, how, for the two of you, did that come about? And how did it just sort of, because, again, without giving it away, this story rolls into some different areas. How was it easy to write? Did it write itself uh, with, this, with these influences? I think for me personally, I read a lot of fairy tale folklore when I was a young adult, quote unquote. Um, and I kept coming across references all the time when I was reading that stuff where there was crossover between different types of folklore and things where um, there are references to events that happened and all of these figures that crossed over and over. And to me, I think each um, different culture has their own legends and folklore and things like that. But if they all have them, there has to be some sort of crossover in the ancient world where they saw things like this or they told stories about things like this. And maybe some of those figures are the same figures who knows who are we to say um but i think like using different types of cultural references within this was, wasn't necessarily intentional but i think it makes sense um to do so because they're pulling knowledge from all over the world so mm-hmm. sure and uh for instance they uh there's a there's a character that kind of uh threads its way through here and it's uh uh morgana um, the Druid witch mm-hmm. of Celtic legend, but the legend of her precedes even the times of the Druid. There's there's uh, references to someone like Morgana that goes um, all the way back through the Greek mythologies and through the Egyptian times. I mean, Circe, who is one of the characters in this book, um, certainly would have been uh, an Egyptian form mm-hmm. of Morgana. So <clears throat> thank goodness for Isabel. I couldn't have done any of all of this research and still gotten the book done, um, especially in the time that it took us to write it. The book, once we got going, this, this one it really wrote itself mm-hmm. in a hurry. And did you two set any rules for yourselves when you wrote this? We had to meet at least once a week. That was kind of one of our rules. Um, and we ended up talking more than that. But once a week, we would have a Zoom meeting to discuss things and, like, where things were going and what we wanted to do with it. And when it was still a children's book, um, we had an illustrator that was also meeting with us. And then later on, that kind of faded off. But... Um, so we had we had to do check-ins with each other and with other people to make sure what we were doing was on track and what we wanted and where we wanted to go and things like that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it had its upside and its downside. I would, you know, I would write frantically to get ready for the for the Zoom meeting, and uh, Isabel then would shoot me down, and I'd end up having to destroy about oh, <laughs> 15, 20 pages of of sweat and uh, you know worry hey. blisters on my fingers. Well, well, I would That's hope. what a daughter's job is. It's always to shoot down her father's ego. <laughs> well, I don't have to worry about that. You've never let me inflate that balloon very full. Well, I, oh, well. I, I hope you save. I hope you save those outtakes because you never know what they might be good for later. <laughs> yeah, we'll make TikToks out of them. <laughs> yeah. That might work. Anyway, we're speaking with Mike and Isabel Nelson, the authors of Annie Abbott and the Druid Stones. We'll take our last break and be right back. Stay with us. Sunbury Press Books is your home for the writings of independent authors. Loch Ness Books is our young adult imprint, including Joe Harvey's Summer Changes Everything, Deanne Baker's The Boaters Club, and Arcane Maurer's Forbidden Powers series. Find these and other books by diverse authors at sunburypress.com. We're back. Mike and Isabel Nelson are my guests. Annie Abbott and the Druid Stones is the story we've been talking about. First of a series of sort of a young adult fantasy adventure, but there's so many other names we could put on it. Um, For both of you, the adventure for Annie, without giving it all away, it's really comes down to certain things because there's adventure, there's danger, there's wonder. But the toughest thing is, the decisions we as people have to make. And Annie seems to be a consistent character throughout. And how difficult was it to keep Annie human? And yet at the same time, she's got to make some really difficult decisions for a girl her age that maybe some adults wouldn't be able to handle. Talk a little bit about that if you both would. When I think about it, um, I teach middle schoolers, and so they're just about the same age as Annie is, and I was that same age not too long ago, and because I can see how my students' minds work when they're working through problems and what they would choose to do, especially the mature ones, um, I kind of figure out what they would do in that situation. And on the other end of the spectrum, I can, because Annie is sort of based off who I was at that time, I can look back at that and see, oh, well, I probably would have done this or I would have done this if I was in that situation. And that's how we kind of help develop her choices. But obviously we wanted to create a a very good protagonist i guess you would say and so we wanted her choices to kind of align with that trope also i think too there's a there's there's a really common uh thread that runs through all of this and that's the the fact that she has such a strong emotional connection with her father and um as, as she sees his uh, strength in some of these really dire situations. And then uh, with each new character that um, that comes in, Rafer Tate and Gabe McDonald, um, there's a love connection where she has an easier time making the decisions because of how much 
uh, affection and love she experiences from the people who are there to support her. And, uh, and it also helps to keep her human and, Mm -hmm. and, and help it, uh, still a little soft and, and, and fuzzy around the edges. And, uh, (laughs) in spite of some of these circumstances, which after all, some of them are life and death. Right. Well, the main thing too, is that you set us a cliffhanger and, uh, I won't say what it is, but clearly as I was reading this, there was going to be, I knew there had to be more and that there would be another edition of Annie and the gang. Um, how far along have you advanced this concept? I mean, how far do you think, uh, Annie is going to go in this adventure? Uh, how many other volumes of this series do you think will happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, Isabel, what do you think? I, you know, um, he, she, in the second book, she's 14. So <clears throat> she has uh, we, a, can, we can guarantee you two. Um, and then <laughs> after that, I'm not sure. I assume that we'll probably need to do a third one or probably want to do a third one. But I think it just depends on how much story we have left to tell and what we want to do with it or what Annie wants to do with it. She might be tired at that point. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, you know, there's no point in, in, in you know, uh, renewing it for another season on television, you know, and then having no writers, uh, if you know what I mean. There, the, the, the first book, obviously, you know, it's a runaway train. It's exciting. There's a cliffhanger. There has to be another book. And so and so there will be probably looks like it's going to come out in June. Okay. And uh, Annie Abbott and the Red Queen will be the next book. And uh, it's uh, marching itself to the finish line here as we speak. Uh, but we'll see if there's more story uh, at the end of that one to see if, whether or not there needs to be another one. Mm-hmm. Well, I've found through my own experience of what I have published and what I have not is if you've got a good story, it writes itself and then it, it, it becomes the runaway train where suddenly you have all of these ideas and it's like, okay, which ones are the good ones? Which ones have we already done? And it's almost like you have to map out, you, you really have to put a timeline to it as to, well, how many are going to be in this thing? Are you going to have a long series or, you know, is it, is it going to come to a, a point and uh, I think the fun part about it for me has always been, it's like, let's just see how far this goes. And it's sort of like your instinct will tell you the stopping point, you hope. Yeah. Yeah. We hope. Yeah. Well, I have to well, get... we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the next thing... I think about it, though. I mean, it, it's really fun. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier on, uh, it's really fun to do this. It's really fun to have somebody to do it with. And it's especially fun to have somebody to do it with that I don't hate entirely. So, yeah, uh, well, only some days. There are days, Izzy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> well, let's now talk about uh, the influences of each of you. Now, Mike, you have written as well. 
Talk a little bit about your growing up and about, you know, the thing that I've always found is what we read, what we watched, what we heard growing up always sets a tone for what we might create ourselves. Tell us about your, uh, your early influences, Mike, and what got you into writing these other things before you went to work with as well. Well, my story is very long and it's very convoluted. Um, I retired in, in 2019, uh, after I had practiced as, as a physician for almost 40 years. <clears throat> and uh, thanks to Isabel, uh, she actually saved my life by taking me to the hospital where I found out I had to have a quadruple bypass surgery and that I couldn't work anymore. Mm. But before that time, I had lived a pretty interesting life already. And so I sat down and decided that I should write something down. Um, my dad gave me his diary uh, when he was in his mid-80s of his time in World War II that told the tale of his uh, work as a tail gunner in a B-17 bomber hmm. where he had the life seven expectancy of five missions, and he flew 26. Hmm. And... Uh, and if I had had that diary earlier on, I might have understood what a weird duck he was a little bit more mm-hmm. than uh, I did. It changed my perspective of, of him at the time. So I sat down to write uh, little things about this happened to me or that happened to me so I could give it to the kids so that they would understand why I was so strange. And it it ended up being three novels, three full-length novels, before it was all over. And uh, so that's why when I got that done, I I was done with it. But uh, writing was not something, it was just one of those, well, I think I'll try this. And so I sat down and started doing it, and I realized I really liked doing it. And And, uh, and it turns out that it's not bad stuff. (laughs) And what were the titles of these? Uh, uh, Well, it's a series of three books because... You know, you can't get it all in in one, as usual. So it's uh, Bless Me, Father. That's the first book. The second book is For I Have Sinned, second book. And it incorporates both my father's story and my story in the second book. And it's quite an adventure book, too. Uh, And then the third one is called The Heretic, which uh, details my uh, time as a uh, house call physician in an Amish community. Mm. which I did for almost 20 years. Interesting. And Isabel, may I ask, how did all of uh, these experiences and and your father's work and so forth, how did it translate to you in terms of what you read, what you wrote, that kind of thing? I have always been a big reader, which very much started with both my mother and my father when I was very young. Um, I read before kindergarten and started reading chapter books in second grade um but i read everything but most of the time i had a fantasy novel of some kind until i got into like middle school and then i started reading more i don't know cultured things um but i read the fable haven series probably seven or eight times between third grade and sixth grade. Um, And those books are like 700 pages a piece. 
and there's six books in the series. So I was reading a lot of goblins and fairies and trolls and all kinds of stuff all the time. And I loved Harry Potter and I loved Lord of the Rings and I watched those all the time and read them and I played. We were not a family that like watched TV often and I didn't even have TV until I was in like upper elementary school. So I was outside all the time and in the woods. I don't even think we owned a TV, did we? No, we didn't have one until I was, we moved to Jackson Street and I was in fourth grade when we moved there. Um, Uh. But I was outside playing games and coming up with stuff all the time. So writing has always been just another exercise and using my imagination, I guess, which I've always done. And um, I really started to like writing in college. I got into a lot of creative writing classes and workshops and things like that. And I found kind of a passion for it, which I knew I liked writing and English for a long time, which is why I picked a major in English and in education. But I didn't really discover that I enjoyed to write until I was in college. Mm-hmm. And as an educator... She's an amazing poet, by the way. She's, hmm. the, the poetry that she writes is uh, stunning. It's very uh, emotional, hmm. beautiful stuff. Well, and I was going to say, Isabel, as an educator now, you can sort of imbue your kids with, with, this, with this kind of thing. It's like, um, what is it like to reach that audience uh because a friend of mine uh a poet named jules davenport who is also an author he teaches and speaks to to young people especially middle school kids and he says it's if i remember correctly this is the time to really get them and he says you can really get them excited how is that for you um it's interesting sometimes because we're coming into an age where technology kind of takes precedence over, you know, a physical book in your hand. But there is so many different types of technology where you can get them access to more books than they had before. Um, And we're doing this really cool thing right now where uh, they have the physical book and then they also have an audio recording of it. And so they're reading the book along while like in their heads while it's being read to them and it's like making their comprehension just skyrocket which is really interesting to watch and it helps them like if they don't understand how to pronounce a word I remember getting tripped up on that kind of stuff when I was a kid I would get frustrated because I didn't know how to read something or pronounce something um but with this we don't really run into that too much because they're having someone say it to them and they're reading it at the same time um so it's really cool to see that and some not as many as i remember in um my grade levels are like avid readers but i still have some that are like do you have more books for me to read can i read the book ahead this week so that's nice to see you too. Great. Well, as we wrap up here, where can we find uh, this uh, work of yours, Annie Abbott and the Druid Stones? How can people get it? Um, it's, well, it most, is. it's most available on um, Amazon. 
so you can order the Kindle version or the physical copy and have it delivered to you. But it also is at lots of independent bookstores and Barnes and Noble. Okay. Well, uh, my last question is basically the question I, I ask most of my authors, and I'd like each of you to take a take a shot at it. If somebody's got a story idea or they've got one burning a hole in their heads and they tell you that, what do you say to them? I think they should just start writing it and not worry about whether it's good or whether they have it all together or anything like that. Just write it and you can fix it later. (laughs) Excuse me. I would say that, yeah, that's it. Uh, I think that uh, we let our we let ourselves get in our own way most of the time, and uh, a, a lot of times if we have something burning a hole in our soul that needs to come out, it uh, it's our story. It isn't necessarily whether it's a good story or a bad story. Um, one of the things that I know I had to learn to contend with is is that uh, we don't write for other people. If we, as soon as we start writing for other people, we're doomed to disappointment because not everybody's going to like it. So we have to remember that we have to write for ourselves. And that's the only person we should write for. Very true. Well, our guests have been Mike and Isabel Nelson, authors of Annie Abbott and the Druid Stones. Also, watch for the sequel, Annie Abbott and the Red Queen, coming later this year. Both of you, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show with your host, Tori Gates. Find his works, including Searching for Roy Buchanan, Call It Love, and Shake Hands with the Devil, along with more independent authors of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. Thank you for listening. This is the BookSpeak Network. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.